God, today we beg, we beg that you would do a mighty work. God, we know that you're able to do more than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. So today, God, we hope big. We dream. God, we imagine. Father, I pray today that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would speak through this broken vessel truth and life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, we kind of jumped right in the middle of it. We kind of jumped right into the middle of a funeral scene. Jesus shows up at the funeral of one of his most beloved friends. Shows up at a place that honestly is a hard place. Funerals are hard. Can I just say that? As a pastor, they're even hard. Not because I don't know the truth, but because it's just difficult. There's mourning. And in the midst of mourning, there's laughter. And in the midst of laughter, there's tears. And so this is a difficult moment. And here is Jesus showing up at the funeral of Lazarus. And as he shows up, he's immediately confronted by an angry woman. Now, if there's few thing, there are a few things in this life I fear. Angry woman is number one, (laughs) followed by spiders and snakes. But number one, angry woman. And here she's, here it happens in all of her indignity, in all of her anger, in all of her frustration. Jesus knew Lazarus was sick. They sent a messenger. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Come, the one you love is sick. And Jesus does not come. See, in this moment, Martha's anger and her hurt comes out. Lord, if only! See, the way she addresses him is not polite. Yes, she calls him Lord. But one thing you have to remember about Martha and Mary, these lovely sisters is that Mary is the one who has always been willing to sit at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's always been the one telling Jesus what to do. Do you remember that? She goes to Jesus, would you please tell Mary to come help me? I'm busy. I'm working. This is the thing that Martha has a habit of doing. Hey, Lord, you're great. You're great. But would you just please tell people to do what I tell them to do? That's where she's at. She's in a place of, Lord, you know, if you'd only done what we told you to do, our brother would be alive. See, she's grieving. She's grieving because she only sees the finality of life. She's like, well, death is the end. Praise God, we know that death is not the end. That death is just a doorway into eternity. But see, she sees it through her lens, and you have to, we have to show some mercy and grace to the people we read about in the Bible. Because we see everything through the empty tomb, through the cross. They have not come to that point yet. And here she is. She is 
angry. She believed that Jesus would come and heal her brother. You have to imagine that she and Mary were waiting by, by Lazarus' bedside, nursing him, praying that, that he would be healed. And then you got to imagine they're holding his hand saying, Brother, it's going to be okay. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And they're looking out the window waiting. Have you ever waited on Jesus to come and him not come in the time you wanted him to? I think we can all testify that Jesus doesn't work on our timetable. Amen? And here we have this moment where Jesus says to her, your brother will live again. Your brother will rise again. And I love Martha's innocent faith. I know, I know, he will be raised on the last day. She shows, listen, that she knows the truth. She knows the Bible. She has sat under Jesus' teaching. She's been discipled. And she says, yes, yes, I know. But the reality is she didn't have a clue at the kind of power that Jesus had. And can I tell you today, I'm not sure we truly understand what he's capable of. I believe he is capable of more than we give him credit for. See, but the problem is that Jesus was trying to move Martha from focusing on the problem to focusing on the problem solver. Because without Christ, you know what? Death is the end. Without Christ, there's a problem. See, then Jesus calls her to something deeper. He calls her something deeper than just that final day. He calls her to faith that is not wrapped up in a future hope, but in a present help. Listen, folks, I look forward to heaven. I look forward to eternity. I look forward to being there in front of my God and my King and seeing the rainbows and the glory and the angels and the streets of gold. I look forward to that. But can I tell you, if that's all I have, then this life is going to be really too hard for me to handle. Because Jesus is not just our future hope. He is your present help. In all forms of danger, He is your refuge. And that is what he's trying to get across to Martha. He says, I know you weep. I know you mourn. I know you hurt. But I'm here to help. See, our faith doesn't just rest in the miracles that he performed. Our faith rests in the very person of Jesus. Our faith is not based on doctrine or denomination. Our faith is based on Christ. And that's where he points her in her grief. In the midst of her tears, in the midst of her anger, in the midst of her hostility towards him. What he says to her, he says, I am the resurrection. I am that life. He says, look past the pain and see the purpose. As Jesus spoke to Martha, I think he speaks to you and me today. In our pain in our uncertainty, in our despair when death comes. 
He proclaims, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now the question for you and I is, how does that work itself out? Because I can tell you, it's great to have the platitudes. It's great to have the Christianese, you know what I'm talking about? To have all the cliches and all the catchphrases. It's great to have all that. But how does that work in our daily lives? How do we move past the cliches and focus on Christ? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. I prepared all week for you to ask that question, so thank you. The first thing we will see today is that Jesus provides physical resurrection. Jesus provides physical resurrection. Can I tell you, there are very few things in life that are more inescapable than death. Look, you're going to have heartache in life. You're going to have pain in life. There's going to be pollen. There's going to be taxes. But you know what? You can't escape death. Look, I can take enough Claritin to get rid of pollen. I can pay my taxes. Day's coming, by the way, folks. But the thing we cannot escape is the thing we fear the most. That's death. John MacArthur says this. He says, you are going to die. And you are not in charge of when. You are not in charge of where. And you are not in charge of how. You're not in charge of your death, but you better be ready for when it happens. Super encouraging message. Everybody, from the front to the back corner, I need you to know today, you're going to die. And while to some of you that may scare you to death, I want it to encourage you. Because here's the great thing about Jesus, is he defeated death. (laughs) See, it's, it's not something we like talking about, is it? You don't gather around with your friends at, at, the, at the machine shed, right? You don't gather around and say, hey, everybody, we're going to die one day. You don't gather together at Christmas with your family and cut the ham and eat, all, eat whatever you eat and go, man, we're going to all die. Woo! It's not something we like talking about. But listen, the Bible addresses it plainly. Psalm 90 verse 10 says the years of our life are 70, some by the reason of strength, 80 or more. Yet our life is full of toil and trouble, and soon we are gone and we will fly away. Hebrews 9 27, is it appointed to man to die once? Then comes the judgment. See, the one thing we fear the most is death, and I'm not really sure we fear death. I think we fear how it's going to happen. See, when we look at this actual event of Mary and Martha, look, all of a sudden Lazarus goes from well to dead in four days. Because they said, hey, Jesus, your friend is sick. And Jesus waits. You remember how many days he waited? Praise God. Out of the mouths of babes. 
I didn't think he was listening. <laughs> it takes him a day to get there. So four days he's dead. Look, if you say, hey, your person you love is sick, you need to get here, and they die that day, it was pretty quick. And usually quick deaths, especially ones that are sick, are violent. You have to think about the, now I'm not going to get too graphic because we've got kids in the room in this church, but you got to think about coming, what's coming out. Got it? Hmm? Demonstration and what's coming out. The fevers, the shakes, the pain. And we fear all that thing, do we not? We have a fear of death. We fear what's coming. And you have to understand this was a quick, violent death. And here they are holding their brother's hand going, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And when did he come? He'd been dead four days. In fact, the King James says this when they ask about opening the tomb. The King James says, but Lord, he stinketh. Don't open the tomb. See, they, they believed that Jesus could heal him, but you realize what they didn't believe? That Jesus could bring him back. My question is, how many of us have been in that place? How many of us have been in that place watching a family member suffer? Seeing the finality of life, and you're just waiting on Jesus. You're just like, come on, Jesus. Come on, Lord. You can do it. Am I alone? You're saying, you can do it, God. Come on. It's okay to admit that you've done that. And it's okay to admit that he didn't do it the way you wanted him to do it. And can I tell you, it's okay to admit your hurt to God over him not doing things the way you wanted him to do it. He's God enough. He can handle it. And then you got that statement by Martha. Lord! If you'd have just done what I wanted you to do, he'd be fine. <coughs> Has death ever caused you to be angry with God? Put yourselves for a second in the shoes of the 11 faithful disciples who have watched their Lord crucified and they're sitting there probably scared, angry, confused, and they had been with him for three years. They'd heard all of his teaching. They'd heard every word he'd said about, I'm going to die and I'm coming back. But yet here they were, scared. And I have a feeling some of them were angry with God. I've wasted three years of my life following this guy. But I want us to remember what Jesus says to her. Your brother will rise. Again. See, Jesus' victory over death signifies for believers that our life is not the end. It is truly just the beginning when you cross over. Look, you're given 70, 80. Some of you have been blessed to have 90 years on this earth. Guess what heaven has, eternity? 70, 80, 90 years is a blip compared to eternity. Compared to forever. See, Jesus is defeating the death he had power to beat the finality of death. See, the power of Christ over death opened a doorway for you and me to believe in his power and to know that death is not 
the end. See, after Jesus rose from the grave and conquered death, where'd he go? To the Father. See, when you conquer death, when this world ends and your life is over, guess where you get to go? If you're a follower of Jesus. To the Father. To the presence of your Maker. I always find it interesting. Do you remember who the first person was to get to the tomb? I heard it from over here in this section, so I'm going to just do the Hulk Hogan thing. What was that? Mary. Mary, the sister of Lazarus. The person who got to witness Jesus' power over death was the first one to see him defeat death. See, the comfort we need to have in the resurrection is that this is not the end. This is not the end. Romans 6, 5 says this, For if we have been united with him like this in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. If you're in Christ, death is but a pause. But we don't just see this thing that Jesus provides physical resurrection. This is the key. Jesus provides spiritual resurrection. See, Jesus defeated the grave, giving us hope over death. But there's a greater need that you and I have. There's a greater need that you and I have. It's because, not just because we're physically dead, but because we're spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now look, we don't believe in having confessional, but I just want to go ahead and have a moment of confession. If you're a sinner, would you raise your hand? I'm just checking to see if anybody's not. I'm going to let you come stand up here instead of me. See, because of your sin and your trespasses, we're dead. James 1.15 says sin brings death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. See, the idea of wages is that it's the payment It's the reward for our sin is death. What a great reward. We are dead because we are separated from the source of life, which is God. See, sin separates us from a holy God. Listen, folks, the unbeliever is not sick. The unbeliever is dead. He does not need a resuscitation. He needs a resurrection. All lost sinners are dead. The Prince of Pastors, Charles Spurgeon, says this, Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep you out of hell. The late Dr. Zacharias said this, All the world's other religions seem to seek to take bad men and make them better by ethics. Christianity, by contrast, seeks to take dead men and make them alive. 
Christianity seeks to take people who are spiritually dead, separated from God by their sin, and make them spiritually alive so they can enjoy a personal relationship with the God that created them. This is why Christianity is unique. Because everybody else wants to make you good. Jesus wants to make you saved. He wants to make you alive. Not just better. The truth is that without Christ, you and I are dead spiritually. Spiritual death is when a person is physically alive, but has no hope. Man, that's a word our world needs to hear more. Hope. Hope. Hope is not found in anything but Christ. And can I just go ahead and tell you, I know you're sitting around today, somebody's in here today and you're going, but preacher, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. (laughs) Mama lied to you. The reality is no matter how good you are, you fall short. See, because Adam and Eve decided back in the garden that the fruit was better than following God's rules, you and I are born into sin. You have sin in you. You don't believe that sin exists in you? Have a baby. Once you're married, let me go ahead and get that out. Don't need any phone calls later from parents. Hold on, have a baby. That baby will lie to you. Right? Babies are supposed to cry. We got some new babies in the house. Babies are supposed to cry when? When they're hungry, when they're dirty. Right? They cry when they want to be held. They cry when you look at them funny. They cry when the, when the bald guy holds them. Well, that's your own blood, brother. I hope not. <clears throat> Reality is this, is that we are born deceivers. We're born broken. We're born separated from the Father. And can I just go ahead and get this out there? No infant baptism is going to save you. Mm. The only kind of baptism that's going to save you is by baptizing of the Holy Spirit. Believing in Christ. So we've got a problem. Not just physical death. But spiritual, eternal death, we've got a problem. We're separated from the Father by our own wickedness. But see, God's got an answer. God's got an answer. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, with which He has loved us, even when we were dead, He made us alive with Christ. Not alive by our good deeds. Not alive by how much we give. Not alive by our church attendance. As a pastor, that hurts. But alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised up with Him. And seated us with him in heavenly places. See, because Christ is not only the resurrection, he's the life. He rescues us from spiritual death into eternal life. 
See, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says this. He says, I have power over sin too. Not just death, but power over sin. Christ's death brings resurrection to our spirit because He paid the price of sin. The distance that had to be crossed, He crossed it. And then Paul would say this. Oh, I love this one. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Hold on tight. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through your good deeds, right? Through your charitable giving, right? Am I misreading this? Through baptism. I'm just glad y'all are answering. I was getting worried. But through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. See, that's the part that we've got to understand is that Jesus' death, that washes you. But His resurrection rescues you. If the tomb didn't open, oh, we'd be without hope. See, physical and spiritual death come because of sin, and Jesus kicked both of them's tails. Eternal life is here. It's now. And it's forever. Because Jesus, guess what? He's here. Right now and forever. See why Jesus provides this physical resurrection? Because you you gotta imagine the faces of the people when Lazarus comes out the tomb. You gotta imagine. I didn't I, I know I preached this text before, but I don't think I went into great detail. They had all these mourners. You were supposed to mourn for 31 days after someone passed. For 31 days, ladies, you had to make sure folks were fed. Hundreds of people would show up at your home. People would show up at your home and ask to be paid to cry over your family. Can you imagine their faces as Lazarus comes out of the tomb? Jaws on the floor. Mary and Martha. Martha's going, yeah, Jesus, I know he can come back, but he smells. Don't open the tomb. Oh, Jesus, if you'd have just been here. And Jesus says, I am here. Because Jesus is always on time. Never late. Took him three days to get ready to come back. Here's the thing. Jesus does all this. He tells her, I will bring your brother back to life. And then he asks this question that is the question today that you and I must answer. He says, do 
you believe? Do you believe? See, that one question makes everything pivot. Because it's great to go, well, yeah, Jesus can do that. That's great. But there's a difference between saying it and putting it into practice. There's a difference between saying, yeah, I got it, Jesus. I know at the end of time, he's cut, you're, my brother's going to be fine. The question is, do you believe that Jesus can do it now? Even in the midst of times where you feel like he hasn't done what you wanted him to, the question is, do you believe? Faith in Christ is what brings us back to life. Right? I mean, the, again, the most famous scripture in all the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believes. Not whosoever has been baptized 47 times. Not, not whosoever wore the prettiest dress at Easter. Not who found the most eggs at the hunt later. Whoever believes. And I say this and I emphasize this because I think there's a lot of people who play church. But don't know Jesus. Upon request, I'll say it again. I think there's a lot of folks that play church that don't know Jesus. The late Billy Graham said there are more lost people in the pews than saved people. He said because for too long people have, that's paraphrasing Billy here, for too long people have claimed faith but never met the faithful. I want us to real quickly turn to Matthew chapter 28. And with this thought, we will close. Matthew 28. Verse 5 and 6. I'm not pausing for dramatic effect. I'm just letting some of you get there. I can still hear the pages turning. I don't want you to miss Verse 5 and 6. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. <laughs> he is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. We all started off the service this morning by saying he is risen. My question for you 
is do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is risen today? If you believe He's risen, I want to do two things. I want to encourage you to know that it's not just eternal, but He's your present help in times of trouble. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do is what the angel would encourage them to do after this. She said, now go tell what you've seen. Can I tell you today, you cannot tell what you've seen or what you've experienced if you've never experienced it. You cannot tell the world about a risen king if you have never experienced spiritual resurrection. Because I'm looking around the room and physically none of you have resurrected yet. Praise God for that. But spiritually, if you've gone from death to life, you better tell somebody. I'm not going to go too deep into that because that's next week's sermon and it's already written. What I need you to hear today is the question Jesus asks, do you believe? And today, if you've never believed, today can be that day. Today can be that day where you find the living Lord Jesus Christ. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Oh, see that's why He's not just hope for forever. He's hope for today. The resurrection. And the life. Today, would you meet that Savior? Let's pray. Father God, we ask during this time today, this time of response, this time of dedication and call to follow Christ. Lord, I ask you, would you pierce the hearts of the lost? God, would you revive those who have claimed to follow you who today need hope. They need to experience revival. Lord, as you have resurrected your son on this day that we celebrate, would you resurrect new hearts? God, would the lost be found? And would the found be faithful to tell the good, good news that He is risen, He is risen indeed. Church, would you stand with me and respond in a time of worship today?